This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. I'm Kyle. I'm Jeff. Follow us on Twitter at Run Pod Option or email us runpodoption at gmail.com. If you're listening, subscribe. Feel free to throw us a rating. It really helps us out. Otherwise, tell a friend. Just do something, I guess. I don't, I don't know really what else to tell you guys. Uh, we really, we, we, we're still deciding how we're going to do this podcast uh, into and through bowl season. And then the off season, I think we've kind of settled on like maybe one per month, kind of not a super show, but a bigger chunk to kind of hold you off while there's not actually any on the field action going on. So before we start, and it's actually going to kind of kick us off into what was week 12, Kyle told me this morning that he had a dream that he woke up to and he feverishly went to his phone to make sure that he had something right. Kyle, do you want to enlighten us? So, yeah, this just led to my general confusion in the morning, um, especially, you know, after a weekend, getting ready to go to work. I had a pretty vivid dream that after the Tua Tagovailoa chicanery that happened this weekend, that Nick Saban stepped down from Alabama and immediately accepted a job at Michigan State. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like so so vivid that I woke up this morning getting ready for work that I I went to my phone and I immediately went to ESPN while I was taking my morning poo. And I then came to the realization, I was like, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) This didn't happen. That would be insane. And Jeff, how many holes in the wall would you punch? You know, I actually would be more entertained by Saban and Harbaugh playing each other for the last few years of Saban's career. I think that would be a lot of fun. If you want to, we can actually go right into it. Michigan State probably needs a Saban-level coach to pull them out of the ditch they're in. Jeff, how how bad did little brother look? That's little sister, isn't it? Ooh, is it? I mean, y'all don't, y'all don't call them that. Nah, don't get into that. But they started off uh, the game, and they actually they actually looked pretty good. They drove down the field and scored on their first drive, and then after that, Michigan pretty much just blew them out. Um, not really a whole lot to say. I mean, Shea Patterson had probably his best game as quarterback at Michigan. He, I think he ended up throwing for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns. They were just absolutely annihilating Michigan State's secondary. Is it right saying that it was his first 300-plus-yard passing game since being at Michigan? It just might be. I don't think he's had one that high, yardage-wise. Because he had something like 8 for 12 before he transferred that season before, and then I think I saw that it was his first one, which just blew me away. I watched this game, and it was thorough beatdown. Michigan State looked hapless out there. Like, D'Antoni just looked, looked like he wanted to, wanted to cry. Yeah, there's really not much else you can say about it. It was a thorough ass-whooping. Since the this will be our finest hour speech, I saw that Michigan has outscored Notre Dame, Maryland, Michigan State, and the second half of Penn State, 141-38. to Jeff, do you think that right now is the best chance you have to beat Ohio State? And are you bummed out you have to play Indiana first? <laughs> I am bummed out we have to go to Indiana because Indiana has been a pain in Michigan's ass the last couple of years. And they've, I mean, they've won, what, seven games already this year? So yeah. it's really, it's letting, it's coming to be, it's going to be a probably a 
a really close game because I think Michigan's going to be looking forward to Ohio State, and Indiana is has them right where they want. So yeah, it's it's not going to be fun this weekend. Yeah, that's in Indiana after a pretty not a big letdown. Iowa, oh no, Iowa beat Minnesota. I'm tripping. It was Penn State. Penn State, yeah. Penn State didn't even look great. You know, it's it's a bummer that Indiana ended up losing, and I think they lost their top receiver early on in the game too, and that certainly doesn't help. And the obvious ab- absence of Kyle, what's his name? Penix. Phoenix. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so let's let's hop back and forth. Let's talk about Tua. So Tua was in the game, thirty-five to seven, and Alabama had the ball, and they were about to run their two-minute offense before half. And Nick Saban came out and said, this is going to be his last drive. It's an unfortunate situation. He gets sacked by two Mississippi State players and dislocates his hip. And I believe there was that fracture on the outside. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really, really uh, say it in the proper or appropriate words. You did stay at a Holiday Inn last night, though. I did. <laughs> Quick, just a, a yes or no. Do we think that Tua should have been in the game at 35-7 to with two minutes left and a half? Absolutely not. If he was a game-time decision and you were taping up his ankles to look like, like Randy Moss back in the day, I, I, I don't know why you keep him in that long. You're clearly in charge of the game. You don't use the game to be a... a practice for him for the two for the uh two minute two minute drill yeah do that in practice in a controlled environment jeff what's your answer honestly and i understand i think the reasoning like kyle kind of said is you know they're trying to get him playing time was there even really a reason for him to play this game mississippi state is bad i know alabama has kind of been up and down but was playing him simply just a you know, they need to get him time with the, the receivers because I know he hasn't practiced, but should he have played at all? That was kind of the thought I had as I watched him, you know, go down. And, and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it because I think I had, I don't think, I absolutely know I had the same reaction as you guys. I, I think I tweeted about it like three times. Like, why, why was he even in the game? The game was over. And when I think about it, and I think like, yeah, he wasn't practicing. He hadn't gotten game time thinking about how long it kind of got him to get in the groove against LSU, all of those things, I understand why he was playing. And it even gives you a glimpse of just how coaches feel about their team, right? Nick Saban's a fantastic coach. Alabama has a great staff. Even with the defensive issues, they didn't, and how bad Mississippi State is, they didn't have full and utmost confidence that without Tua, they could handedly win that game I don't think and it's football injuries happen if it was the Alabama running back I don't think anybody's talking about it and that's just as you know I I think it's I think we're kind of looking through it through two two shaded lenses and it's just unfortunate because it was Tua and what Tua's meant to college football and to Alabama since he started I think that the other reason that it's being talked about so much and it's being put underneath the uh, the microscope is because he didn't look healthy in the LSU game. You are trying to get ready for the for the stretch run. This is not a game that you're looking at 
thinking, man, we're really going to be in trouble without Tua. Uh, now, granted, they did only, what, they scored like three points after that? Yeah. Um, yep. But if he was such a game-time decision, why do you have him out there when you're up by that much? That's that, like, I would have taken him out. If, if, he, if we were guaranteed, if he was going to go, I probably would have taken him out maybe at 21-7, maybe at 28-7, because he looked good at that point. And it, but I'm like, you know, he still looked awkward out there. Kind of, He still looked stiff throwing the ball a little bit. Where, Yeah, there's a few plays before that that he didn't look sharp. Yeah. It, it, that's one of those times where I'd be like, okay, we've seen enough. He's done enough. Let's take him out. Let's milk this home, you know? We'll probably talk about him sometime down the line. Uh, if nothing else, just on a man, Alabama probably wishes they had him now. But what is one of the uh, one of your favorite memories from Tua's legacy at Alabama? If y'all want to do like 30, 40 seconds each, and then we can go ahead and hop onto the games. I think that my favorite memory, obviously the best memory was him coming in against Georgia and leading that team to the national championship. That was That was fun for what it was. I'm not an Alabama fan, but... My my favorite thing that ever happened regarding Tua was Tua Altoona on the Sports <laughs> Trebuchet podcast. Uh, Jeff, what about you? I mean, I've enjoyed watching him play. I don't really like Alabama, so I don't have a lot of fond memories. But yeah, I think him coming back, him coming in to help Alabama come back and beat Georgia was just an awesome performance. That's how I'll always remember him. So I think my <laughs> the way you said it does make it sound like it's a funeral. I think I think there's there's two things that stick out in my mind. One, just how how much of a a change it was for Alabama, who previously just did not have a quarterback and did not have that offense clicking until Tua came in. You don't believe in Greg McElroy? So no, I don't. And 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 it was a paradigm shift. And that was really cool. The second favorite memory is probably reading about the. Alabama message boards where they asked whether or not he was going to understand or if he needed to take like English lessons to understand the coaches because of the language barrier because an Alabama fan was under the, an Alabama fan was under the impression that Hawaii spoke different uh, a different language. That's wonderful. I also really, really, really enjoyed uh, everybody trying to get his name right for the first like week afterwards. You, you were brave enough to say his last name. I still am not. Uh, Tagovailoa. Yeah, no, it took me a while. I'm probably still saying it wrong. Doesn't matter. It also took a while for uh, Minnesota and Baylor to lose their first games. Oof. Yeah. See, at the crossroads, all three of those, Tua, Baylor, and uh, and Minnesota. Yeah, they were Over kind both. of inverse too, which I thought was pretty pretty funny. In that Minnesota had to try to play catch up and couldn't end up doing it, and then Baylor got out to a big the cursed lead of twenty eight to three. And then ended up, ended up losing. Should I bring my wife in? See what she has to think about yeah, 28 yeah, to 3? a Falcon fan <laughs> wife, that, that poor woman. And being married with you. Oh, that's true. Jeff, did you watch the Minnesota-Iowa game? I think you, you tuned into most of it, didn't you? I did. Uh, it was, I mean, it was really surprising. On the podcast last week, we talked a little bit about top 10 teams going to Kinnick Stadium and their dreams dying on the field. And... It happened again. I mean, Iowa jumped out to was it a twenty to three lead. They just kind of were yep. like slicing and dicing down the field, and then from there they just had to hold on. So, uh, 
yeah, it was really Minnesota still has uh if they win out, they will still clinch the Big Ten West, which I think is still a massive accomplishment. But yeah, definitely a, a you know a rough a rough game for them. Yeah, it's absolutely huge for that program, and it is interesting. Iowa is they're five and one against AP ranked top seven teams at home since two thousand eight. Crazy. So there's something to that curse that you mentioned in our, in our last show. Yeah. <laughs> because we couldn't figure out why the hell Iowa was favored. And there's your answer. And our number four listener ever, Doug, is probably having happy days right now. He's got that big Tate energy. Drew Tate. He's going to have friends for another 10 years. Yeah, I think I think friends got a guaranteed extension after this game. So They built a statue to him out front. We're not going to talk about the game, but how funny was it that Scott Frost also got an extension and then lost to Wisconsin handedly? Uh, well, he's just done such wonderful things for the program in two years. But I mean, that, that, that program's coming out of some serious doldrums. You got to give him time. I was going to say, is this is this the most committed we've seen a team to a coach? I mean, you knew when Harbaugh came to Michigan, they were going to lock in for a while, but they basically said, you know, yeah, we suck and we're terrible right now, but we're building a $150 million practice facility and we're going to keep Frost around. I, I, I think it was a good move. I like it. I love yeah. it. I, I, I'd like, you, you love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you know, you want to see that kind of going on everywhere. Uh, looking at you, Florida State. And there's no doubt that his run at UCF, his agent dropped that in someone's ear about like, <laughs> hey, you know, Florida State. Ugh. Uh, he's had a success out there in the Southeast. This might yeah. want to consider it. Who's the guy that represents everyone? Sexton? Is that the guy that is the age of so. like every coach? Yeah. Yeah, he's just playing himself against himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's getting up on each side of the each side of the uh, the table. He tells his secretary to call Sexton's office. Hey, he's call got Sexton. two phones on each ear. He's just <laughs> yeah. calling himself. People see him on the street and they just think he's a crazy homeless guy. <laughs> With two phones, it's, it's, yeah, but he's got <laughs> and he's got two AirPods underneath the phone. So Baylor had game day, huge for Waco. Chip and Joanna Gaines on game day to guest pick, <laughs> and a twenty-eight to three start, and they lose. And I watched this entire game, and I was actually I texted Kyle and a couple other buddies because I said, "Yeah, you know what? I'll hop on later for video games if Oklahoma is just smashing." If maybe perhaps Oklahoma was winning twenty eight to three, <laughs> and instead it was the shoe was on the other foot, and I thought, okay, well, Oklahoma's probably got something in their sleeve. I kind of want to see how Lincoln Riley coaches, and it was Jalen Hurts shooting every toe off that he could, and then still <laughs> making things happen. <laughs> Baylor had sixty nine yards in the second half. They only had 18 offensive snaps in the second half. And that might be a wrong number. I might be including two punts. Oof. It was almost like watching an Army game with the ball control for Oklahoma. I was going to say, was I didn't watch the second half. Was it a function of Oklahoma just controlling and then dominating when they were on defense? Or did Baylor have a meltdown? Baylor never got a chance to get into into a groove again. And, and Kirk, I think Kirk Herbstreit mentioned it. But it was very clear the difference between a good and a great team because Baylor, by the end of the third quarter, looked gassed. And if it wasn't for Jalen Hurts fumbling the ball twice and an interception, 
it's probably closer at the half, and they probably win by 14 or 20 because Charlie Brewer, after the second half, truly did not look good. And that whole offense, I think Denzel Mims had a pretty decent game, and he got hurt. He came up like limp on his hamstring, it looked like, in the second quarter, and he never really made an impact after that either. Hmm. So a long way to say, I think it's a little bit of both. Oklahoma only had to defend 18 plays. They called their best 18. I mean, I'm surprised at how that game went. It was it was a tale of two halves, and I guess the better team won. You know, and that's that's just that's good for Oklahoma going forward when as they look towards the playoffs possibly. I believe after Hertz interception, I think that Baylor drive turned into three points. I can't remember, and I think that would have been the difference because. 31 to 10 at half looks a lot different than 35 to 10 at half. It just shows you, A, how good Jalen Hurts can be, even after blowing his foot off with a musket. And then (laughs) how good Lincoln Riley can call a game, even when a drive is requesting 11 or 14 or 15 plays. Yeah. An offense that didn't look so good, Georgia beat Auburn 21 to 14. Oh, that's the most... That should, game should have been played in the Big Ten. Yeah, Georgia has basically reached what Alabama was right before you know Tua took over. Like you said, Marty, they basically like realized the Nick Saban image. They're super talented, really good on defense, and they just uh, they squeeze just enough out of the offense to win. It's awful. Two things frustrate me about the game. One was Auburn's fourth quarter only offense. That's pretty frustrating because yep. if they had a chance to play with pace earlier in the game and have been even just mildly successful, I think this is a different outcome. And then, and I'm going to give props to, I believe it's his name's Richard Johnson, but it's RJ underscore rights on Twitter. And he said, Georgia is the only program at the level that they're at intentionally running this offense. And you know yeah. you can do better. Like, you you literally had Justin Fields, and I don't even know why you would have signed him, because if you were just going to have him do what Jake Fromm's doing, what a waste. Do you think that they would have... Is Fromm the best quarterback out of the three that they could have had? Is out it, of Eason, it, Fields. Eason, and Fields as well. And do you think that the offense looks any different, I mean, with those guys there? Well, one, they have... I think James Coley is the offensive coordinator, and he was kind of a cast off from Florida State. So I don't think they have the right guy running it, but I I don't think it matters. I, I think it's Kirby, and that's just a sidebar. But I think any of the quarterbacks would be better if they freed them a little bit. It, it wouldn't matter if you had Fields or Fromm or Eason. Like, they play within that system. And, I mean, I don't think Fields would be having as good of a year as he's having at Ohio State if he was at Georgia, just because he would be so restricted. Yeah, I think he'd be restricted. And the the biggest difference is – for me, so I think Eason and Fromm are a push. I yeah. think Fromm maybe gets the edge for me a little bit, only because Eason, boy, does he single in on a receiver sometimes. And it doesn't matter if there's one, none, or three three defenders on the receiver. If he's made up his mind, he's made it up. But I think if Fields is there, they're forcing him to play exactly like Fromm. And he's exciting because he makes plays with his legs, and it would have taken all of the second fumble from him running the ball that Kirby would have had his ass, and either he's not playing anymore or he's got a leash on him, for lack of a better term. 
I think it's going to be pretty interesting once Georgia and LSU play. I don't think it's set in stone for LSU, but but we know. Yeah, we'll cover that game a little bit more uh, two weeks from now. Actually, there you go. Where do we want to go here? Syracuse ten point underdogs. Was it at Duke? It was at it was Duke. At Duke, it's on the road. Give me give me forty seconds to a minute, Kyle, on how this was the first day you've been happy on a Saturday in maybe a month and a half. <laughs> well, first of all, Watford didn't play, so that helped. Yeah, this was uh, this was the Syracuse team that I think everybody thought we were going to get. Uh, they came out, scored on their first two drives. Offense looked like it was moving. The the running game was there. Uh, they made a weird change where they moved their center, who was supposed to be their left tackle, but he previously played center uh, the last couple of years, moved him out to left tackle again, then moved who they had at left tackle, a redshirt freshman, into center. And that seemed to make the whole difference. <laughs> it was really weird. Some of those um, wheels off substitution. <laughs> <laughs> it was, hey, I there were holes out there. And, I mean, Service is definitely a better left tackle than he is a center. Uh, I just didn't know that Veterello was going to be serviceable at center. DeVito looked fine, but the really big piece that I took away from it was uh, right after getting rid of their defensive coordinator, they come out and they play their best defensive game of beer. They had three possessions in a row, including a pick six in the second half, which really just put the game out of out of reach. Uh, they, win- they end up winning 49-6 to on the road. Uh, just a complete pummeling of Duke, and I was a very happy man. It was very nice. It's a weird Duke team this year, and you definitely, I think, caught them on their on a bad day, maybe their worst day. But it is forty nine points. It doesn't just happen by accident. Yeah, you also think you know that it was the first time that the defense was finally getting pressure on people. Now, it might have a little bit to do with McKinley Williams being back. He hasn't really played at all this year at defensive tackle. He kind of does eat up some people, and it allows for the two edge rushers and Elton Robinson and Kendall Coleman to kind of get out and go. But Kendall Coleman played like a man possessed. It was great. Well, that was a solid 40 seconds on Syracuse. <laughs> Penn State derails 9 Windiana. Upsetting. Boo. Everybody boo. boo the yeah, team. that's boo. Temple and Tulane, I don't think either of you caught the game, but it was it really required a Tulane comeback towards the end to make it close. Temple looks like they're really hitting their stride. If the... No, actually, I was going to say, the Green Wave losing gives us a three-way tie for the top of the AAC West with SMU and Navy playing this week, and we got to have Memphis lose somewhere. So I'm crossing my fingers. Wisconsin's running back. Jonathan Taylor broke Herschel Walker's record for the most career rushing yards through a player's junior season. Pretty significant. He's probably not going to get a chance after this season because he'll be pro. Yep. Have we uh, have we appreciated watching Taylor enough, or what are your guys' thoughts? No, I don't think we have, and I think part of it is because at this point, they are the 2000s Denver Broncos, and I think Jonathan Taylor's probably one of the most talented backs they've had in a while but what running back doesn't run for the at least a semblance of the yardage that he gets that's wisconsin man wisconsin has always turned out these guys that just put up yards right it's their bit ron dane melvin gordon 
I mean, you, Monty Ball ran for 1,900 and 1,800 yards back-to-back. Like, it's just... Yeah. They have James White and Melvin Gordon all in this. I don't know how they do it. There's They must have something because other than recruiting a team of all-white offensive linemen and receivers, they somehow procure these amazing running backs every year, and it's just... Well, I mean, you're also running behind a line that's fueled on cheese and uh, sausage, and it's wonderful. It's yeah, steroids. that's the, the brat line. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least the, the beef are on steroids that they're eating just pounds of. And it also shows, I think, Brett Bielema... I, I don't know what, what proves what, whether Brett Bielema worked within the Wisconsin system or if Brett Bielema knows how to also run that system and couldn't bring it to the SEC... But it's not like you can just do that anywhere. Well, also, you can't bring those same guys down to the SEC on the offensive line to get the meat sweats down in that heat. God, it just must smell. It smells awful at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> I, just, I think it's one of those things that it has become. It's become institutionalized. Like it doesn't matter who their coach is. I don't know if it even matters. I don't know if their strength coach has been the same guy. Like it's just there's something now that is ingrained in their culture in how they recruit and prepare, that it's just, it's not going to matter. In 30 years, we're all going to be watching college football as old men and, or semi-pro football then. Wisconsin will have a bunch of all-conference offensive linemen. It's just going to be the same thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's maybe, it's just like one of those givens. Like, it's tough to play at Kinnick in November. Yep. Uh, it's tough to have any kind of offense at Michigan State. You run the ball really easy at Wisconsin. You can't use phones at Northwestern. <laughs> Old Miss is probably under sanctions. <laughs> Again. <laughs> let's let's uh, Liberty's building a pedestal even higher for Hugh Freeze to lay on. <laughs> <laughs> Do y'all want to get to our players of the week and then we can wrap this review episode if we don't have anything else? Let's do it. Okay. I will lead off because I have a pretty interesting note, and I'm going to go ahead and give props to the athletics. Chris Vanini, I'm pretty sure I'm saying his last name. Mm, Avid listener. Yeah, and you know what? I think he actually got this from someone else anyway, so who cares? (laughs) My player of the week is Old Miss quarterback, not running back, John Reese Plumley. A Plumley brother? He's not. He's not a plumber. Oh, good. Yeah. All I can think of is like some six eleven white dude that has a punchable face sitting back there, quarterback. Someone did mention that it is funny people being outraged, just assuming he is. And I suggested that maybe he just got lost and found some khakis and a button up and figured he was on the right campus. <laughs> so John Reese Plumley. Rushed for 200 yards against the AP number one team. That is the first time that's happened since Vince Young in the 2006 Rose Bowl versus USC. And if you're too young or you don't remember that game, just go to the Longhorn Network and wait two hours and it'll be on. (laughs) As they relive the glory days. Every day that game is on that channel. This is a spoiler. I had to go with Shea Patterson. 73% 73% of his passes completed for 384 yards and four touchdowns. I believe he hit nine different receivers. He also ran for some really nice plays, which got, got negated by sack yardage, but that's whatever. Yeah, just an awesome, awesome game. How many, how many passes did he throw for 73% completion? He threw 24 of 33. 
how many times when's when's the last quarterback do you think from Michigan that threw thirty or more passes and completed seventy three percent of his passes? Was it pre Henny? Um, was it Jamie Navarre? I know the yard. They said that he threw for more, the most yards since Tom Brady. So if that tells you anything, so it's probably Brady that has that percentage. No, you're right. It's probably it's probably Henny or Navarre. I mean they they threw it a lot back then because they had all those NFL receivers. So. At least the NFL thought. <laughs> and Kyle? Because they're paying Adrian Arrington to go out there and do stuff. <laughs> um, throwback. So I could go the obvious route and pick somebody from Syracuse. Wouldn't be Tommy DeVito. He only threw the ball 15 times. He was 6 for 15, had 105 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. They didn't need to. They ran the ball too well. They had two guys go over 100 yards. So you could go throw shade at Jeff is what you're doing. <laughs> yes, Probably. It could go Kendall Coleman or Andre Sisko because he had a pick, pick six. But I'm actually going to step away from Syracuse. I'm going to say no foot, no problem. Give me Jalen Hurts. What a comeback. It really it really was incredible. He had four touchdowns, and I think he had 411 total yards. Yeah, someone – I can't remember who it was. I saw a tweet when after the game, and they said, even though he won't win it, his performance in that game really embodied, like, what do you think about it as a Heisman winner, like – bringing your team back from that kind of deficit against a, a top 10 team. Like that was, that was pretty crazy. So yeah, putting them yeah. in that, putting them in that situation and then <laughs> rescuing them, <laughs> writing your wrong and coming back. I want to give a, a, a just a, a special shout out. Chase Claypool for Notre Dame had a phenomenal game against Navy that we definitely all thought Notre Dame was going to cover. So don't sweat that at all. Yeah. What the <laughs> heck, man? What a beating. Gentlemen, do you guys want to say bye? Bye. Farewell. Farewell. There he is. He's returned. Guys, the pick show will be out on Wednesday, and we'll get you all ready for week 13. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at Juicing POD.